You're with Julian on the brown note, and um, I've stopped doing Ukraine pieces regularly, like I was doing at the start of the war, and only really dipping back into it when I've got something um, new to say. And this is in relation to two big events, two massive events. Is this Endgame, or is this Infinity War? To labour a very MCU point with Russia um, holding elections in the part of Ukraine. If you don't know that the eastern part of Ukraine, um, the, those regions are predominantly ethnically Russian. Over Around 20% of the population of Ukraine are ethnically Russian and are, are completely on the side of Russia, which you don't hear much about now. Also, <coughs> Russia is calling up masses of reservists, like 300,000 reservists. The war itself hasn't been going in Russia's favour much, though the reporting on it in Western news media has been so universally one-sided. I'm going to go into the issue of dissent later, but there, if you have followed Western news media on Ukraine, you will have a completely different picture of, of everything that has happened. Um, I was obviously wrong. I said this war would be two months long. I had no idea the West would go into bat so much by funneling so much in the way of prolonging the war. You want to use the word support? I say prolonging the war. They have been doing everything in their power to prolong everything that's happening, even though that's resulting in the continuing destruction of one country alone. Uh, because of the Western and, and like to, to, to go over everything I've said in 10 seconds the Soviet Union collapsed around 1989-1990 the post-Soviet republics gained their independence Russia said they would adhere to these countries having their independence under Gorbachev and Reagan as long as NATO and the EU didn't push into all of those Russian satellite countries on Russia's border the West primarily agreed, and then the military-industrial complex went, no way, that's such a good market. We can sell NATO to all of these countries. And if we let them join NATO in the EU, we can enforce lots of our own economic policies on them to buy our own weapons and to reshape their economies to suit us in the liberal, neoliberal West, which is exactly what happened. This came to a head in 2013 when uh, Ukraine was turning down billions of loans, billion dollar loans from the EU, which was going to increase their fuel costs, their energy costs by 40% as a prerequisite and not increase pensions, all of this stuff the European Union was forcing them to agree to to take these loans. The then president of Ukraine said, nope. I'm actually going to get these loans from Russia, who will actually reduce our power costs. And then the West fomented and supported the overthrow of the democratically elected government in Ukraine. And basically, um, the Russians annexed Crimea uh, around 2014, around February. Uh, Russia began uh, an annexation of Crimea. Russian troops and special forces began moving into Crimea. Uh, the following days, Russian soldiers secured key airports and communication centers. 
and the Ukrainian parliament declared Crimea a territory temporarily occupied by Russia. This is back in 2014, after the overthrow of the government and the installation of a pro-Western government. Some people don't regard um, using military force to overthrow a government and install one as being democratic. Uh, Call me old-fashioned. Some call it a coup. Um, but we don't even talk about that. And that's setting chain the most, the, the stuff that's happening now began there because 20% of, and primarily this entire region <coughs> was Russian. <coughs> Excuse me. So imagine America, imagine America having, you know, Mexico on its border and 20% of Mexico being Americans, ethnically Americans, uh, what they would be doing right now in the same boat. I think we all know. So um, what's happening now is that the those regions of, like initially I believe that Russia intended to um, just overthrow the whole country, maybe depose the government. Uh, Russia's been screaming about the EU and NATO lining up all the way along its border, which it has been doing. For no reason other than to sell weapons, uh, Russia had remained neutral on the world stage to a large degree, and we have been creating the Russian bogeyman ever since the collapse of the Islamic terrorist bogeyman, because you can't justify spending a trillion dollars of your budget on a military if there's no enemy in the world. So we had Russia, we had the Cold War Russia, we had Islamic fundamentalism, that's gone away, so we've got Russia again. So it's all by design to sell weapons. Pretty disgusting, scummy stuff. Um, in the lead up to this current conflict, um, so around sort of 2019, uh, Ukrainian, like basically th- there was a de facto stalemate. So we had the, the eastern part of Ukraine with the Russians, um, most of the population being Russian, and the rest of Ukraine, the other 80% of Ukraine being, you know, against Russia. And they had they were fighting, uh, and in a stalemate. Um, but it started escalating sort of around 2019. Uh, in May 2019, uh, Zelensky, the current president of Ukraine, took office, promising to end the war in this, what's called the Donbass region. Uh, in December that year, Ukrainian and pro-Russian separatists began swapping prisoners of war. Um, since 2019, Russia has is- issued 650,000 internal Russian passports to Ukrainians. The figures of the number of ethnic Russians in Ukraine is about 8 million people, which is a lot. Uh, 8 million out of about 40 million total population. From March to April 21, Really leading up to the war, Russia commenced a major military build-up near the border, followed by a second build-up from October to Feb 2022. Uh, Throughout, Russian government repeatedly denied it had plans to attack Ukraine. Um, In December 21, following Russian denials, the US released intelligence of Russian invasion plans, including satellite photographs. Uh, in the months preceding the, Ukraine, uh, the invasion of Ukraine, however, Russian officials accused Ukraine of inciting tensions, uh, being phobic towards Russia, repressing Russian speakers, and they made multiple security demands of Ukraine, NATO, and other EU countries. Uh, 
On December last year, Putin's claims were dismissed by the international community and Russian claims of genocide were rejected as baseless. Putin questioned the legitimacy of the Ukrainian state, which was silly, but at the same time, the Ukrainian state's introduction of martial law in those Russian regions, where all of the population were very pro-Russian, led to um, accusations of mistreatment against the uh, Russian enclaves inside Ukraine. And we rarely hear about how pro-Russian a lot of Ukraine is, and that those occupied places are people that said that our government was taken away from us by the coup in 2013, and that we've been subject to abuse from the pro-West Ukrainian government. So that's what led to what's happening now. Um, so there's there's a change in the likely outcome now. I think initially it would have been to get Ukraine to, maybe a ludicrous sort of thing, to get Ukraine to sit at the table and say, here it is in writing, we're not joining the European Union, we're not joining NATO, and we're going to stop treating mistreating the Russian part of Ukraine. Now, the problem that we've got here as well is that our press has been so relentless in the West, but it's been relentless in the Russian side as well. The A lot of the coverage of media coverage of what happened, which was undoubtedly abusive towards the Russian enclaves, has been portrayed by nationalists inside Russia and in the press in Russia, which is pretty nationalist anyway, as being far worse than it probably was and that Putin wasn't left with a leg to stand on. Putin didn't go in here out of nowhere. Putin went in here as a last resort. And we won't, we don't really talk about that. So he went in when uh, the alarm bells were ringing in Russia and had been for a few years. And in the West, we act like it was out of nowhere. We were absolute garbage. So instead of getting uh, Ukraine to sit at the table like that, it looks now, given the huge uh, amount of Western support in prolonging the war, that Russia is going to annex parts of Ukraine. They're holding referendums. These are areas, they're saying that these votes are illegitimate. Well, there's a number of ways to look at that. The coup was illegitimate to put in the current government. You overthrew the current government. Yes, the votes are illegitimate in the fact that you're voting to leave the sovereign nation of Ukraine. It's a sovereign nation. You're voting to leave it. But to say that it's illegitimate on the part of the number of votes being counted, being pro-Russian, and those enclaves deciding to join Russia is garbage. Of course they will. There'll be a massive amount of pro-Russian vote in those regions. So I thought this was a brilliant piece. Look it up. Um, Scott Ritter who is an ex-Marine and uh, has been involved in, um, worked actually in Russia uh, for the American government. Uh, and there's, uh, this is about the current situation. So uh, if you didn't vacuum the announcement of Russian President Vladimir Putin in a televised address to the Russian people, that he was ordering a mobilization of 300,000 military reservists to supplement 200,000 Russian personnel engaged in combat on Ukrainian soil would be the antithesis of seeking an alternative to war. 
this announcement was made in parallel with one that authorised referendums to take place on the territory of Ukraine currently occupied by Russian forces to join Russia, to become part of the country of Russia. Seen in isolation, these actions would appear to represent a frontal assault on international law as defined by the United Nations Charter, which prohibits acts of aggression by one nation against another for the purpose of seizing territory. History, however, is a harsh mistress where facts become inconvenient, and this doesn't obviously apply to Israel, according to the international community much. Uh, history, however, is a harsh mistress where facts become inconvenient to perception. When viewed through the prism of historical fact, the narrative being promulgated by Joe Biden becomes flipped. The reality is, since the collapse of the Soviet Union at the end of 91, the US and its European allies have been conspiring to subjugate Russia in an effort to ensure that the Russian people are never again able to mount a geopolitical challenge to an American hegemony that's been foisted on the world since World War II. Point one of dispute here. I don't believe that. I don't believe that they want a completely neutered Russia. I think they want to create a bogeyman to justify the military-industrial complex. I think they want a hurt, bruised, angry, villain Russia. I don't believe they want to neuter them into nothing at all. What would they sell their arms to? For decades, the Soviet Union had represented such a threat. When Putin spoke about the need for necessary urgent steps to protect sovereignty, security and territorial integrity of Russia from the aggressive policies of some Western elites who try by any means necessary to maintain their supremacy, he had this history in mind. The aim of the US and its Western allies, Putin declared, was to weaken, divide and destroy Russia. On Feb 24, Putin issued orders for the armed forces of Russia to initiate what he termed a special military op operation. This has become a laughing stock because obviously they invaded and it's a war, but that a war is illegal. Uh, the goals of this operation were to protect newly independent republics the Donbass region, where there's a, ma uh, a majority Russian population, from imminent danger posed by a build-up of Ukrainian military forces. The stated goal of the SMO was to safeguard the territory of Lugansk and Donetsk by eliminating the threat posed by the Ukrainian military. Uh, to accomplish this, Russia embraced two primary objectives, demilitarization and denazification. Now, we have heard that the Nazis are present in this, um, the right-wing side of the, the pro-West Ukraine. Uh, it, it is pretty much garbage. It is, there are certainly, there are certainly um, Nazi elements inside Australia where I live. The, the natural state of a lot of post-Soviet republics is Western-leaning. It just is. Georgia is. You know, they look to the West for a reason. Mostly, if you go to somewhere that has seen, you know, 30 years of uh, economic neoliberalism reduce their country to a worse state, you're going to get a much higher state of Russian sympathy and uh, less, you know, antagonistic views towards the old Soviet Union. But in general, Ukraine is a, is a Western looking country. Demilitarization of Ukraine would be accomplished through the elimination of all infrastructure and organizational structures affiliated with NATO. 
Uh, mentions more about Nazis. Uh, Ukraine's been pursuing NATO membership since 2008, the year that Barack Obama decided not to sell any more weapons to Ukraine, fearing the current conflict. Uh, while actual membership still eluded Ukraine as of 2022, the level of involvement of NATO with the Ukrainian armed forces made it a de facto extension of NATO. So um, Ukraine's been fighting this war and having its country utterly destroyed for two things, uh, EU membership and NATO that it doesn't even have. Russia <clears throat> made slow, agonizing gains in the war of attrition. We saw Russia inflict horrific losses on the Ukrainian armed forces, such was the extent of the damage done by Russia on the army of Ukraine. But by the end of July, nearly the entire inventory of Soviet-era weapons Ukraine possessed at the start of the special military operation had been destroyed. Normally, when assessing casualty figures of this magnitude, any professional military analysis would be right to conclude Russia had, in effect, accomplished its goal, which logically should have followed the surrender of the Ukrainian government on terms which would have resulted in the kinds of fundamental political change necessary to implement the Russian goal uh, of securing Ukrainian neutrality. But the very forces Putin described in his mobilization address conspired to further their anti-Russian agenda by pouring tens of billions of dollars of military aid exceeding in a manner of months the entire annual defense budget of Russia. So in a few months, uh, the West has poured more in monetary value in arms into Ukraine than in the entire annual Russian military budget. Uh, whereas once a primary Western objective was to defend against Russian invasion, it's become the permanent strategic attrition of Russia. The provision of military aid on this scale was a game changer, one which the Russian military forces responsible for implementing the special military operation weren't able to overcome. The new reality manifested itself in the first half of September when Ukraine launched a major counteroffensive which evicted Russian forces from the Kharkov region. Whilst Russia was able to stabilise its defensive and ultimately halt the Ukrainian offensive, inflicting huge numbers of casualties on the Ukrainians, the reality that Russia was facing a new threat paradigm in Ukraine, one which saw the Russian military fighting a reconstituted Ukrainian military uh, that had become a de facto proxy of the US-led NATO alliance. Confronted with this reality, Putin informed the Russian people he considered it necessary to go through this conscription. Uh, Putin's decision to order a partial mobilization of Russian military when combined with the decision to conduct referendums in the Donbass-occupied Ukraine radically transforms the special military operation from a limited scope operation to one linked to the existential survival of Russia. So this is um, basically now an existential uh, fight for Russia. For Russia's part, it considered itself ready to be in a war with the West. We are really at war with the, uh, with the West and NATO, said Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu. In a statement, uh, we mean not only the weapons that are supplied in huge quantities. Naturally, we find ways to counter these weapons. We have in mind, of course, the Western systems that there exist communication systems, information processing systems, reconnaissance systems, and satellite intelligence systems. Put in this context, the Russian partial mobilization isn't designed to defeat the Ukrainian military, but to defeat the forces of NATO. 
that the West has assembled in Ukraine. Of course, Putin said in his address on the partial mobilization, if the territorial integrity of our country is threatened, we will use all means at our disposal. And that's where we get the nuclear threat. Um, the US and its allies in the collective West now have, a, have to decide if the continued pursuit of a decades-long policy of isolating and destroying Russia is a matter of existential importance to them, and if the continued support of the Ukrainian government that's little more than a modern-day manifestation of the hateful ideology of Stephen Bandera, don't know if I agree with that, um, I don't agree with that, uh, is worth the lives of their respective citizens. The doomsday clock is literally one second to midnight, and we have ourselves in the West to blame. Most of which I've been saying since the start. Yeah, Scott Ritter, a former US Marine Corps intelligence officer, who served in the former Soviet Union. Um, so, this that's the likelihood now, is that Russia's going to annex these territories and make them part of Russia. The West's uh, continued ideal of funneling so much armaments into Ukraine that the war goes on forever. Russia's probably um, looking towards an endgame. It's probably looking towards a two-month war at the start didn't happen and now we've got this so the other point i want to make is that um i was shocked that the west would do this because of the economic impact it's had on australia on europe on america has been devastating and this is something that we are now seeing fruition of the west's continued pursuit of elongating the war in ukraine hasn't just destroyed a large part of our economies, fuel costs, cost of living crisis, and so on. It's actually now leading to right-wing governments being elected. Sweden just elected a right-wing government. Italy just elected, or will do in a couple of days, a right-wing government that just sacked one of the members of the parties involved for his praising of Hitler. Now, why? Because of the economic, number one is the war in Ukraine. The reason Italy is going to elect a right-wing government at a time when right-wing governments should be consigned to the dustbin of history because of the economic damage economic neoliberalism has done to the West over the last 40 years, the number one factor in the West's decline has been economic neoliberalism. Well done to the Tories in the UK. What that is hysterical, actually promoting trickle-down economics at this stage is almost hilarious. But in Italy, something like 30% of the population is now living in poverty due to the cost of living. They are voting right-wing, not because of ideological concerns necessarily, but primarily because of the, the cost of living crisis that is in that country. So our support of the military-industrial complex's support for the war in Ukraine and keeping it going for as long as possible, is going to end up with us electing right-wing governments in an era where we should be consigning those to history. Um, the last thing I want to say in this, no doubt, very long piece is about dissent. Um, I saw a great article from an academic in America at the, uh, days ago, which was about dissent in America and about how we have put all these bodies in place now where you can't dissent against any paradigm. And everything is binary about 
dissent now. If I dissent from the view of the war in Ukraine as the most one-sided I've ever seen in Western news media, I am automatically called a Putin fancier. Except I'm a left-wing socialist who hates totalitarians like Putin. But I can't say anything like that without being called one side or the other. 100% for, 100% against. Uh, we're seeing that with people like Roger Waters. Um, he's just cancelled two concerts in Poland amid outrage over his stance on Russia's war in Ukraine. Um, Roger Waters managed to withdraw without giving any reason. Um, the city councillors in Krakow were expected to vote next week on a proposal to name Waters as a persona non grata, expressing indignation over the musician's stance on the war in Ukraine. Waters wrote an open letter to the Ukrainian First Lady Olena Zelenska earlier this month where he blamed extreme nationalism uh, in the Ukraine for having set your country on a path to this disastrous war. I don't agree with that. <coughs> there are extreme nationalists in Ukraine that are doing this. That doesn't mean that Ukraine isn't naturally Western-looking. Most post-Soviet republics are. Um, the 79-year-old criticised the West for supplying Ukraine with weapons, blaming Washington in particular, and has condemned NATO for accusing it of provoking Russia. 100% agree. Um, but you can't say anything now. And in particular, you cannot criticise a government. I reserve the right to criticise any government. I criticise the Australian government, the British government, and the uh, American government every week. So I'm sorry, but I haven't really said anything that has been anti-Ukrainian people. But the Ukrainian government, have they been operating in the best interests of the Ukrainian people? by elongating this war, by doing it for two things, NATO membership, EU membership, which they don't even have. I don't know that they've been acting in the best interests of their population. I should be allowed to say that because I've been allowed to criticise America throughout the wars in Afghanistan, throughout the wars in Iraq. I criticise Israel for its actions in the Palestinian territories. And I've criticised the UK and Australian support in American foreign policy. And every social policy where I don't agree that it's right. So you apparently there hasn't been a single criticism of what Zelensky has been doing in Ukraine with regards to keeping the war going as long as possible. I say, and I have said since the very first video I posted, I think, uh, sue for peace. Where are the voices suing for peace? The war isn't helping anyone in Ukraine specifically. They are being demolished by Russia and the outcome is even a pyrrhic victory even if they were to get something that would be called a win that would result in them being given enormous um, economic rules by the eu and america in order to accept billions in loans and pump up their military and spend all of their money on their military instead of social infrastructure and everything else that they should be doing um, they should be a neutral friendly country that was friendly to the West, friendly to Russia, which it was 10 years ago and isn't today.